You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. This morning we're going to be beginning a new series uh, on First Thessalonians. Uh, Gary did a great job teaching last week out of John chapter 4. If you miss that, be sure to uh, catch that on the website. Uh, I believe it's recorded and up there. And uh, he did a good job and um, just thankful to have him as part of the elder team as we prayed for him and, and blessed him in that place the end of service last week. But this series, my hope for this series is that we continue in our trek, our progress towards an understanding of who we are as a church. So we did Psalm 23 for a few weeks and, and we talked about that. And my hope for that series was that our understanding for God would increase. And we'll spend all of eternity getting to explore the depths of his mystery, explore uh, just even what his name means and, and who he is and his love for us, his love for the Son, Jesus, his love for the Holy Spirit. And as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of him, our appreciation should also track up with that and our love for him should also expand. And that was my hope for that series. And in this series, we will continue that because that's what this is all about. That's what our life should be all about. But in addition to that, to catch the second part of that greatest commandment of loving God and loving others. That's in Matthew 22. And so in this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, we will see that. We will see a, uh, a, a thread woven throughout it of, of loving others, loving each other as a church, Paul's love for them, their love for Paul, as well as their growth in Christ in a making of disciples. And so when I look at scriptures, when I look at the New Testament, you know, there, it's easy to say this. There's a lot that goes into it, but to simplify everything, it's the church is about loving God, us as individuals, us as a body. It's about loving others, each other in this body, those outside of this body. And it's about making disciples, sharing Christ with others so that they might also come to know him and experience his love and his will and his grace in their lives. And so that is our goal. That is our hope in this and continue that. At the beginning of every Star Wars movie, if you're a Star Wars fan, there's a portion of that story that starts. What does it say? Okay, a couple of you have seen it. Come on. <laughs> exactly. And then it scrolls up, right? And then the words are like going at an angle away from you like this. And you're trying to read it really fast. So you have context of the story before the movie starts. And then some spaceship flies over. Right? If you've not seen a Star Wars, at least watch the beginning of one. So, you, so we can interact here, okay? All right. <laughs> well, there's a term for that. They call it the opening crawl. It's where... They crawl the words, the context of the story on the screen before you. Other movies just have it sit there and they kind of give you some understanding or background or whatever. So when you jump into the story of the movie, you know what's going on. 
Well, that's what Acts 17 is going to be for us for the book of 1 Thessalonians. Acts 17 gives us that opening crawl, if you will, to what's going on there in Thessalonica. So, Acts 17, we're going to read verses 1 through 15, okay? After they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. In verse 5, But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. After taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. As soon, it was, as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. Now cue the spaceship. Not really. So this is like our opening scroll, okay? So it gives us some background about Paul and Silas and Timothy going to Thessalonica and kind of the narrator version of what's going on. And so now as we jump into 1 Thessalonians, let's keep this context in mind as, as we proceed. Now I'm not going to read the whole book of 1 Thessalonians to you this morning. Don't worry. But would you stand with me as we read just chapter 1? It's, it's 10 verses. <clears throat> and as I've asked in other series of books in the Bible that we've taught on in Titus and Psalms 23, take the time to read this book throughout the week. I believe wholeheartedly that you will be blessed by it. It takes about 15 minutes to read all five chapters of 1 Thessalonians. It's not like it's going to kill your day. In fact, I believe it will bless it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, 
and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Amen. You may be seated. So additional information I'd like to give you in context is helping us to have a historical understanding of the life and times uh, of this church, of this part of the world. And so uh, forgive me for a little bit here, but we're just going to have a brief history lesson, a history lesson. And I believe that this helps us have more understanding, allows us to better put ourselves in the shoes of this church. It's better helps us understand how this letter was also written to us today, not just this church then. So, all that to say, this epistle or letter was written to the church of Thessalonica around 50 to 51 years after Christ's death and resurrection. Okay, so it's one of the earliest letters written. There might have been one other letter written before this, Galatians, that Paul wrote as well. There's little to no doubt that Paul was the one who wrote this. And in case you're newer to the faith, who is Paul? Paul used to be named Saul of Tarsus, which means asked for in Hebrew. He grew up learning in the synagogues and being trained there. He was a Jewish scholar, a teacher. And as more and more people were coming to know Christ and believing him, Saul then began persecuting them by seeking them out, putting them in prison, torturing them, uh, even executing them, thinking that the people who were believing in Jesus were actually in the wrong. And to the point, he was very zealous about making sure that they were persecuted, they were punished for this, because he was a devout Jew and trained in that way. However, God had different plans for him. On Acts 9, we read the story about how Saul of Tarsus, the asked-for one, encountered Jesus. And literally on the road, knocked off his horse or his mule or whatever he was riding. And God showed up and spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And, and in that encounter, in, in more details than we have time for there, he was saved. He met Jesus face to face. And see, his re- our response is when we meet Jesus face to face is to accept him as Lord and Savior or, or to reject him. But either way, we will bow. There is no other way about it. 
He is Lord. He is Savior. And he gives us the option of receiving him as such or rejecting him as such. Well, Paul received him as such. Paul's new name was a Roman name meaning little. I love that about him. He went from asked for this prideful scholarly guy to know you're my missionary and it means little. In other words, he's weak so God can be great as Paul pens in other letters. After his conversion a time of study and prayer, he became one of the early church's foremost missionaries. And Thessalonians is one of the many letters that he wrote that we have in our New Testament. Silvanus, who was with Paul, as we read in verse 1 there, was also known as Silas. He was also a very well-known missionary of the church. He traveled with Paul when Paul had a falling out with Barnabas. Timothy, who's also mentioned, was one of Paul's spiritual sons. As we touched on him a little bit when we were in our series on Titus, that Titus and Timothy were both some of Paul's spiritual, spiritual sons that he had discipled and led and then left them to be the pastors, the shepherds, the under-shepherds of the churches in those areas. And of course, that's who Paul wrote the letters of First and Second Timothy to. The city of Thessalonica had a population of about 200,000. It is named after the half-sister of Alexander the Great. It had the chief seaport of the Roman province of Macedonia on the Aegean Sea. So you can see there the blue parts, the water, and you can see there how you've got all of these major cities of Athens and Ephesus and Troas and islands and different things, and then Philippi on the other side. And Thessalonica had one of the chief seaports in that region for the Roman Empire. In addition to that, it also had what they called the Roman Road or the Ignatian Way. And this was the road that connected Rome to the Orient. So basically all of the trades and goods that went by land went through this city of Thessalonica. So you can imagine that this is a hub of commerce. This is a hub of trade. You've got people from all over the world in this one city of 200,000. They might have had a population of 200,000, but you can imagine how that population would swell at times depending on the trade routes and the ships that had come in and different things like that. So it would be a very uh, multicultural experience to be there. It would be a place with lots of people and lots of activity, lots of business. It would be a place that if you were a modern-day retailer, you would want to have stores and distribution centers in. It would be a place that would be labeled as a great place to find work. If you were looking for a job. This was a happening place. A quick overview of the letter of First Thessalonians could be sectioned off kind of like this. Chapter 1 is a thanksgiving for them. Chapter 2 verses 1 through 16. Paul reminds him of his ministry to them. His message, his motive, his methods. Chapter 2, 17 through 3, 13. Paul defends his absence from them. He was only with them a few short weeks. They estimate somewhere between three to five weeks that he was actually in Thessalonica, preached the gospel, people were saved, planted a church, and left. As we heard, remember Acts 17? The persecution, they had to leave at night. Chapter 4 is a reality of holiness and hope. Chapter 5, exhortations. And something to note here. Each chapter ends with the hope of the second coming of Christ. 
And I love that. We don't spend enough time reminding ourselves that he is coming. He is coming. And Gary even mentioned it last week that per a lot of scholars, per a lot of people, there's, there's not much left to happen in world events before he comes back per prophecies in scripture. So with this context in mind, let's jump into the letter. And we're only going to go through the first three verses today. In coming weeks, we'll go through more verses. Don't worry, it's not going to be like, oh my goodness, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians for five years. It's not going to be like that. We'll have breaks. Don't worry, okay? But at the same time, in order to adequately look at the depth of this, in order to pull out the truth and the nuggets and and, and look at the original language versus how our language today doesn't truly describe some of the words used, we're going to need to spend some time in it. It's for our benefit. God gave this to us. It's his word. So we're going to do that. Verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read them again for us, and then we're just going to look at each section of one, okay? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in Titus, if you were here, how a greeting to a letter means so much more than just, hey, how are you? There's a lot more thought put into it than the way that we would start a letter with Dear John or Dear Mary or whatever. To the church of the Thessalonians gives us who it's to. Originally, it's for us today, obviously, but it was those set apart, those who received Jesus Christ when Paul went to the temple and preached the gospel and reasoned with them those three Saturdays. It was to them, those who are the bride of Christ in Thessalonica. And then he goes on, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when, when a writer would pen a letter back then and they would make that kind of a statement, they would say, in God the Father, that is suggesting the security of God the Father, suggesting his love, it's suggesting his strength. And the Lord Jesus Christ Referencing the Messiah, the Anointed One, their Savior. Security, love, strength, Messiah, Anointed One, Savior. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. Grace being their salvation, their joy, their pleasure, the goodwill, peace. The only true peace that we can receive in life comes after His grace. He put it in that order for a reason. Grace and peace. Salvation and joy to you. And the peace that comes from being assured of your salvation. As one commentator puts it, God's grace is the basis for and leads to man's peace. God's grace is the basis for and leads to man's peace. There is nothing else that we can fill that void, that gap, that hole in our life and our heart that will bring us peace other than 
God's grace. There's nothing. There's no job. There is no relationship. There is no validation. There is no amount of money. There is no substance that we can consume. There is no amount of media. There is no amount of friends that will ever bring us the peace that we long for and desire for other than God's grace in our lives. Verse 2, Paul says, We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. Can you imagine that? If you've known Paul through the word of God and, and you've been in the faith, having a guy like the Apostle Paul praying for you, and saying that he's praying for you constantly? Like, holy cow. This guy's probably got a direct line to God, right? He doesn't even have to dial a number. He just picks up. We do too. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You see, Paul's prayers weren't necessarily any more effective than any one of ours. If we are humbly coming before the Lord... But what I want us to take note of is that he was always thanking God for them and always mentioning them in his prayers. Just a quick review of what we've defined prayer as over the last few months is intimate fellowship with God for his glory and our benefit. It's a lining up of our will with God's will. It's communicating with God. It's not fancy words. In fact, I would wager that most kids who pray and know Lord Jesus, they've got it more right in their heart than many of us as adults do. Because it's just a simple, true love for God. Later on, Paul even asked the Thessalonian church to pray for them, him and Silvanus and Timothy. That's in chapter 5. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul says, In Ephesians 6, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Practically speaking, what this means is as as these Thessalonians came to mind, they prayed for them. Translated that to us today here, as we come to each other's minds, we should pray for each other. If somebody's face or name pops in your head, what a great discipline would that be if the first thing we did was pray for them? Even if it's somebody you can't stand. In fact, we're probably familiar with that in Matthew 5 that we are to pray for our enemies. Worried about somebody? Pray for them. God's got them better than you ever can. What are you doing about worrying about? You're just, you're just trying to take it on yourself, something that you can't even do. Pray for them. When you're angry at someone, pray for them. When you're thankful for someone, there you go. You guys are picking up on a theme with me, right? that I like to pray, that we should. Yes, absolutely. 
Verse 3, we recall in the presence of God our Father, of our God and Father. And he goes on, your work produced by faith. And I've renamed that work powered by faith. It just makes it easier for me to remember. Work powered by faith. And in this section of verse 3, Paul makes three encouraging statements to them about how he is seeing the gospel work in their lives and how they are living that out. Work powered by faith. Well, what work was Paul specifically referencing here? Verse 9 tells us they turn from idols and turn to God. We'll go into more depth on idolatry as we get into verse 9, most likely next week, but a quick snapshot of that is this. Idolatry can be described in this way. Anything that you will sin to get or you will sin if you don't get. Isn't that a great way of describing that? See, idolatry is not the little wooden and stone little statues so much today. It is in some cultures still, but not so much here today. That man-made. We're gonna, I just made this and I'm going to worship it like it's more than me? That seems really silly in our Western thinking. But yet, what is it that we sin in order to get? Or if we don't get it, we respond by sinning. Is there a few things that kind of flutter into your mind there? Is there a bank statement that would show what that idol is? Is there a calendar, if you keep one, that would reflect that for us? See, we were created to worship. We are all worshipers. The question is, is what or who are we worshiping? And if we attempt to turn from sin or idolatry on our own, without turning to Christ, we will always fail. You can't just say no to something. You have to also say yes to something else. It was their faith that enabled them to turn from idols. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Additionally, their work powered by faith in turning from God, or turning from idols to God, I apologize. They were also waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, and that's in verse 10. It was not a passive waiting. It's not a just hanging out, fiddling your thumbs, playing Candy Crush, whatever. It wasn't that. This was an active, expectant, eager, hopeful Serving and loving Christ while waiting for his return. It would be like a groom waiting for the bride. It wasn't, the groom would have to take shower, get dressed. Before that, scooch back a little farther. He would have had to pursue her, date her, serve her, love her, show her that he could commit to her in being a spiritual leader and a servant to her she would have had to do the same and on that day we'll get to witness that this Saturday as 
the groom waits for his bride up at the front. There was an eager, expectant, expectant, hopeful, loving, serving, waiting preparation for her to arrive. Or maybe for like a new baby coming. There is, there's an excitement. There is a preparation of the nursery. There is the getting the things that you need. There is all of those things that go into that day when that little baby, that little boy or girl will arrive. Not as significant, but somewhat similar, even a vacation, right? You can't just, maybe some of you do, you just hop in the car and go, but there's some expectation. There's some, there's some preparation. You got to ask for time off work at least, right? If you want to be employed and be able to pay for it when you get back. But there's some preparation. You got to know where you're going. You got to have a place to stay. Do you have enough money to eat while you're gone? Do you, oh, we want to see the museum. Can we even get in? What are the hours? You've got to prep and plan and wait in preparation for that. And that's how we should be. That's how this church was in eager anticipation of Christ's return. But to serve him and love him for each day he gives us here. It's a, it's a balancing act of excitement and joy of our future as well as today I get to serve him here with what he's given me. And this frail, weak body that can get hurt and feel aches and pains but yet serve him. I promise I'd tell you about my nose. You know, some preachers will do anything to get your attention, right? So I felt like if I had a big scratch on my nose, you guys would all be looking at my face the whole time and maybe pay more attention to what God has to... No, I'm just kidding. That's not it. <laughs> That's not what happened. I was on the losing end of a board that came off the end of my house doing some remodel work late Friday. And it was like a sauna. You know if you're outside working on that day. And it's just like, that just happened. I don't care. I'm just going to get done. <laughs> I'll look at it later. <laughs> so you guys get to look at it with me today. Let me say this again. It is impossible for us to return from idols without turning to Christ and trusting in his grace to help us. It is impossible for us also to wait faithfully for his return without the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Teaching us, counseling us, guiding us on a daily basis. The second encouragement, that was work powered by faith. The second encouragement that Paul says, your labor motivated by love. And I, again, for ease of memory for myself, labor fueled by love. Your labor motivated, motivated by love, labor fueled by love. It's the toil, the sweat of their brow. And loving God, serving him, loving his people, loving each other, loving those around him, telling others in this lost city, this lost trade capital of Macedonia about Jesus Christ so that they might too become disciples. You see, they were motivated by love because God initiated this love in them and for them as he has initiated this love in us and for us. Romans 5, 8, a very familiar passage that while we were still sinners, before we knew him, he died for us. He loved us. 
You see, this is all about God initiating. That's why this is a relationship, not a religion. Religions are things that you work so that you can get. You work for to gain your salvation. This relationship with Jesus Christ is about accepting his free gift. Accepting his grace for us. That love initiated on the cross through Jesus Christ, paying for our sin, paying that debt. And as our faith increases, as our love for God increases, that love is going to fill us up and it's going to flow out of us onto others. You see, the closer you get to God in your relationship with him, the more you pursue him, the more your eyes will be opened up to those around you the more you realize and understand how much grace you need because of your own sin and your own salvation and what a wretched sinner we are without it, the more grace and forgiveness and understanding and love we can then share with others around us. Do you see how this works? What he's asking us to do in loving others is making disciples. He's initiating and filling us up if we just pursue him. Their labor fueled by love. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 tells us this. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. The most loving thing we can do for another person is to share the gospel with them. It is the best news. It is the good news. And it is the most loving thing we can do for somebody else is to share the gospel with them. Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Paul continues a third encouraging statement here. Your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I rename this one endurance sustained by hope. Endurance sustained by hope. They were able to persevere and endure as are we because of the hope set before them, the hope set before us. They endured the persecution from the Jews of Thessalonica. They endured life that keeps happening, the trials that come, the tribulations that come because of the hope set before them, because of their hope of his coming. Our final and true destination where we were destined to be and created for. When I was younger, I used to think that I had all these things that I wanted to accomplish in life that I wanted to get done before Jesus would come back. Oh Lord, just, just let me have the opportunity to experience this. Let me, let me have the opportunity to get married. Let me have the opportunity to have kids and experience that. Let me have the opportunity to do this or do that or, or whatever. And the older I get, 
and my love for God the Father increases, the more I look forward to my time with him in all eternity. The more people who have gone there before me and are getting to experience that right now, the more I long to be with them and him for all eternity. Is it often entering our thoughts on a regular daily basis in hopeful, eager expectation to be with him? Eternally, blissfully, gloriously in the presence of the triune God without blemish, without pain, without sorrow, in perfect peace. This is not about ending our lives early by any means. This is not about not being thankful and grateful for our time here, our opportunity to serve him and love him here on earth. But to also look forward to that day. While we were singing, how great is our God? I kind of scooted to the back there and I just was enjoying singing, watching and listening. And just thinking about how someday in heaven it will be like that. From every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Hands raised, people on their faces before the throne of God praising him. Paul's encouragements to the Thessalonians. Work powered by faith, labor fueled by love, endurance sustained by hope. Maybe jog some of our memories about another verse in 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 13, where Paul also, the writer, says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is the greatest love? Out of love, God created us. Out of love, God saved us. Out of God's love in us, we can then love and serve him. By loving his people and sharing that good news with them. So just to, just to recap, I'm not a big three points and we leave kind of guy, but this morning there are four things that I just kind of want to recap in these three verses that just really stuck out in the text. And that's one, praying for each other and for others. As those names come to mind, as those faces come to mind, as that person cuts us off driving down into Bella Vista and Bentonville when you absolutely have to go down there for something or all the way to Fayetteville for work. Lord Jesus, <laughs> you know their story and I don't. If they don't know you, would that seed be planted in their life today, God? Would you open their heart and mind to you? Bring them comfort if they're operating this vehicle out of anger. What if we did that? I don't do that all the time by any means. But when I have done it, I am suddenly 
a lot less angry about the situation. I have a lot less temptations about what my reaction might be if I could speak to them in person or scoot up beside them or whatever or pass them or tailgate them, right? Work powered by faith that we would turn to Christ so that we can turn from the sin and the idolatry in our life. Those things that we sin to get or sin when we don't get. That we would work powered by faith with hope-filled anticipation actively waiting for his return. That our labor would be fueled by love. His love. His love for us that fills us up first so that then we can love him in return and love his people and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And that our endurance would be sustained by hope. He's coming again. Father God, this morning we thank you. We thank you for the encouraging promise of your letter to the church in Thessalonica, Lord. We thank you that this letter, Lord, was also penned for us today. God, that we would constantly, without fail, never-ending pray for our own hearts to continue to be drawn to you, Lord, that we would pray for others, your people, the ones that are your children, the ones who you desire to be your children as you bring them to mind, Lord Jesus. That your love would fill us up and pour out on others around us, God, and that our hope, our hope to endure would remain steadfast on our never-ending glory, our future grace with you in heaven for all eternity. And may we serve you faithfully for each day you graciously give us here on earth. And Father, so this time now that we celebrate, we remember your death on the cross for our sins through communion. That you would continue to be here with us. You would continue to speak to us, Lord. You would bring to mind any idols or any sins that we have yet to confess or have chosen to ignore and that we would then lay them again back at your feet. As you have already paid for them, Father, through your Son. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy.